Welcome to Nothing Makes Perfect, a podcast about practice. I'm Jeremy, and in this episode, I spoke with Brandon Chin. Brandon is a strength and flexibility coach in Northern California. His background is in Olympic-style weightlifting, and he uses his 12 years of experience to help individual clients find a way to make exercise pleasurable and sustainable. He also runs workshops for trainers and coaches on how to teach the skill of Olympic lifting in a simple and effective way. Pleasurable, sustainable, simple, and effective. I'm pretty sure you'll hear all of those themes in our conversation. This one was really cool for me because Olympic lifting is on a short list of practices that I used to really enjoy and haven't done at all recently. So naturally, I find myself wanting to go lift again after talking with Brandon. It's the gift and the curse of talking to interesting people about their practices. I hope you'll find a spark like I did, and that it's more of a gift to listen than a curse. Yeah, uh, health-wise, I, I can't complain. Like, I'm doing well. Uh, actually, this is probably the healthiest I've ever been, like, you know, physically and strength-wise. Um, but, you know, sort of going through uh, an identity change or, you know, sort of reevaluating where I am as a coach and uh, at least professionally. But uh, in, in my real life, everything's going pretty well. But, you know, transitions are weird. You don't quite know what's going to happen next, but also there's some things that I have to leave behind if, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm glad you're still able to separate between life and work. <laughs> I feel like when you work for yourself, that gets harder and harder over time. Oh, don't let me fool you. I don't really do that uh, either. <laughs> I, I try to be like, you know, uh, I know a lot of us have trouble with the, how do you describe yourself as a coach? Then it's like, ah, yeah, uh, I I coach and then I do stuff and I really like this and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm afraid I'm gonna nerd out too hard with you and then you're gonna glaze over. <laughs> well, fortunately, you don't have to worry about that with me. Um, nerd out as hard as you can. <laughs> and I'll I know I appreciate that about you, Jeremy. Um, so talk to me about this transition professionally. Like, is this related to working online over the last couple of years? What are you looking at? Well, you know, uh, after, yeah, it's, it's all of the above after, uh, the pandemic, I, I think it, for a lot of coaches, it sort of, uh, at least for me, made me try to figure out what are my other options other than in person. Mm -hmm. And it sort of sent me on this, uh, journey to understand how inaccessible generally exercise and fitness is to most people, but not because of convenience and location. Like we think it is, it's a lot of social and psycho uh, psychological factors. And, mm -hmm. um, I actually talked about that, uh, with, uh, Chris Ruffalo a lot in, uh, the think movement, you know, she put on some workshops during the pandemic, which, and, you know, Jen Pilati was there too. And talking about the psychology piece, I think that's really important for us, uh, as trainers because we deal with it practically, but we don't always name it. And so trying to be more upfront about that, um, making more options available for beginners, people who are afraid or scared, or intimidated. That's really my focus. Um, I decided to not dance around it and just be like, that's where I'm going to go. That's awesome. Yeah. I think like you said, we do it right. Like our work with clients always involves that layer, but I think for most of us, definitely for myself, it's hard to appreciate how, like how much of an impact your marketing language and just the way you like think and talk about the work you do, mm. how much of an impact that has on people, even if they never come in for a session. Oh my God. And just to add to your point, not understanding how my client describes it exactly, but how I see it just one degree off, like what is possible, but they don't see it that way currently. And I think that marketing language, like you said, really uh, puzzled me for a long time because I haven't been there for so long. Mm -hmm. But going back into my history, I'm like, oh my God, I was so scared, intimidated. The culture doesn't make sense. What is this? Like, how do I distinguish right from wrong? And how do I most of all not hurt myself? Because I have a life to live outside, you know? So can we take it back to when you were a beginner? Like I've seen you do splits and barbell snatches and all these fancy things. Um, but what was your entry into like fitness, weightlifting, any of that? Oh my God. It's just basic insecurity. Uh, 
when I was 14, like any young boy who's unskilled, you try to lift some weights to increase your chest or arm size. <laughs> and without any instruction, I was in a friend's garage and, you know, I had a weight fall on my, my, my face and I had braces and it was, you know, it caused a really big mental trauma, but you know, like it, it healed up just fine, but it left this huge mark on me where I was afraid of weight training for a long time. And, uh, in, of course, like being an Asian, uh, American, Bruce Lee poster in my wall. And I was like, I got to be like Bruce Lee, but I am so scared of like physical training. I don't know. You know, I hate, you know, the discomfort. And so it took me about 10 years post-college. Um, I had a friend introduce me to weight training in like uh, our college gym and um, it was super intimidating. And over that course of time to deal with my anxiety, I picked up uh, smoking cigarettes. So I was at that time, I was a pack a day smoker. So uh, for some reason, I was able to transition into a less healthy obsession, but I didn't deal with the obsession, which I won't go into, um, or the anxiety perfectionism. But um, I took a CrossFit lesson because I almost killed myself in my friend's garage, you know, just lifting again. And I was like, oh my God, this is, it, we can't be doing this. So luckily, uh, I ended up going to a local CrossFit where my coach Saul Jimenez, he was really kind and caring and he wasn't your typical raw, raw, like, you know, paramilitary CrossFit coach. He was like, he worked with, you know, at risk youth in, you know, ski programs. And he just thought CrossFit was cool. And so he took me under his wing because I also was unemployed at the time mm -hmm. during the recession of 2008. Graduating at that time was no fun. So, um, you know, helped clean, clean the gym and re repair equipment uh, for my membership. And then he took, took me under his wing and started teaching me this stuff. Wow. Um, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Like in my head, I have a, a real running of your Olympic weightlifting. And I feel like I, I'm used to seeing Olympic weightlifting in two contexts. One is like in the actual Olympics with, mm. you know, singlets and everything. Yeah. And then the other for me is also CrossFit. Um, but I don't really associate it with like, you know, that first time you learn to pick up a weight in your friend's garage and like the mistakes that we've all made. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's really interesting to hear. Do you, when you talk about working with beginners, is this still in the realm of weightlifting? Like, are you taking someone who's got these barriers to exercise and doing things like clean and jerks? Well, I sort of discovered there were two uh, populations that I can work with. Um, one is people who are just generally have never exercised. And that's I did personal training to pay my bills when I was doing CrossFit and Olympic lifting because those things pay nothing. Like <laughs> They, you know, and I had to, uh, I had to survive somehow. Personal training was the, so that set me up for people who are really scared of um, just physical movement in general or uh, they don't find it natural, it's uncomfortable, making that uh, much more fun and inviting and personalizing it to their own actual life. Like I have 45 minutes once a week, what can I do instead of saying, well, maybe you should do twice a week. No, we were gonna make that 45 minutes absolutely fun. And also if you have any weird pains that you wanna deal with, let's deal with them so you at least trust your body again. Nice. And so the people who um, they have not met their body, so to speak. And then there's people who have, but they are stuck in a skill, which I think you're really good at is helping people unpack something that seems high level and making it really bite-sized like a handstand. Mm -hmm. So I would love to kind of hear how you do that with weightlifting. Cause it is something that, you know, you see it on the Olympic stage, literally like what could be more intimidating than throwing a heavy weight over your head, like an Olympian, <laughs> Um, so talk to me about like, I don't know, I'm imagining you're standing in front of a room of a group of beginners, like the hardest possible setting for, to teach a group of people, a difficult skill. Let's say you have a hundred people and they're all like feeling good. They've moved before. Um, but they haven't done Olympic style weightlifting. Where do you start? Oh, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, and the answer became clear when I started working at a weightlifting gym in 2016, that was uh, directed at kids. And it's the current gym that I work at, but we also train children. 
And of course, children don't pay attention. They have like a 10 second attention span. So they don't care about (laughs) triple extension or whatever, blah, blah, internal rotation. You pull up your pants really fast until you jump up and then you sit down really fast and then you put your hands above your head. Hmm. And sometimes it can be as simple as that. But a lot of times people will have come in having watched high level lifting way too much and then think they should copy this person who has 12 years minimum of, you know, such a deep practice. Um, And so they'll either say, I can't do it, or they'll add too much weight and then scare themselves. Yes, that is like, it's one of my biggest pet peeves is trying to mimic professional athletes (laughs) in our practice. Mm -hmm. Like, what are the chances that your favorite weightlifter that you've seen on YouTube started when they were a beginner? By doing what they're doing now. Like it probably didn't look like that. Yeah. And the hardest part is the the weightlifters that uh or the coaches that I had learned from, there was no recording devices back then. So all they have is like maybe pictures. Mm-hmm. Um so now it's very easy to capture video and show people um starting out uh when they first start and they always start with PVC pipes. Um but but really like the thing that people have to learn is that there are human reflexes in place to like, keep us safe that keep us from going fast. And I think they think that there's something wrong with them or there's a technique issue. And it's like, no, your physical fear is stopping this object from flying at your face. And of course, you're going to be focused on just that. And so that's where the psychology piece comes in. It's like, how do you acknowledge and let someone know like, hey, it's okay to be scared. We're going to do small steps so that you can meet it at your own level instead of like, you've got to be an Olympian today. You know what I mean? Yeah. In your, when you're weightlifting, I imagine you can remember a time when you were like a total beginner and very scared of moving the weight, but do you still have elements of that? Like, does the, does the fear go away or is it, okay, now I'm adding another pound, another kilogram. And that fear comes back. You know, uh, for, for me, the fear morphs. It morphed before, um, like, I think once, uh, so the first thing I'll go over with beginners is how to exit lifts. And then for some reason, they know when they know how to get out of the the danger zone, they actually can move pretty well, just naturally, because they, they can watch and mimic something. But when they know the exits, which is what I'll teach first, that gets rid of the physical I'm in danger thing. And then it sort of morphs into I'm not good enough as you get better. It's a fear of like disapproval or not like um, not being seen by my peers as competent. And it's weird because it still is like in my brain, like I'm not a, I'm a mediocre weightlifter. Who am I to talk about this stuff? And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's maybe true, but also I'm going to just do the damn thing. So it's sort of like, but it still messes. It, It fucks with my head still. So I try to relay that to any people I work with. Like I still get it every single time you couldn't possibly be using language that maps on to handstand practice and coaching anymore. <laughs> I'm like, I, every word you're saying, I'm like, yeah, the, the baby steps to deal with the fear instead of like throwing someone off a cliff and you know, the, the gradual change from fear to like perfectionism, honestly. And like, okay, if I'm not doing, if my joint isn't in exactly this position, then I'm not worthy of being happy with what I just did. <laughs> And I know that's why you get it. I I appreciate that too because it seems like two different things, but it is all psychological. Like you know how comfortable you are watching people is like knowing, kind of getting to know them. All right, what is your favorite Olympic lift to do, and your favorite Olympic lift to teach? Hmm, that's a good one. Um, To do. You know, it depends on my mood, actually. Uh, If I'm feeling like graceful and precise, the snatch, but if I really want to feel powerful, it's the jerk. Cool. So you're bringing in the psychological piece. Like it's going to depend on the day, how you're feeling and what you want to do with a weight. And you know what the crazy, like I, I thought there was some secret recipe above my head for the longest time that was being withheld from me. And all the best coaches, they're like, I don't know what you're going to be able to do. Let's just figure it out today. And I'm like, but what about the fancy Excel sheets and the numbers? And they're like, the Russians decided to make a bunch of words up. But reality is they don't (laughs) even know either. 
I love it. So you're talking about like taking your max weights and figuring out what percentage of the lift you should be lifting today and for how many reps and all that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, going back to my experience in the the movement guild, when uh, talking about auto-regulation, that was sort of like this distant word for me, but it really became like the most important thing in the last maybe four or five years because it's already happening. It's like reality. It's not actually, and, and like, you know, um, having this target number caught was a large chance for disappointment for me. And that's all I kind of do is just beat myself up into thinking, all right, we'll do it the next time and the next time. And that's very unrelatable and not fun for a lot of people. Totally. And it's, it assumes that everyone relates to numbers in the same way, which like if you've ever asked anyone about their fifth grade math class, you know, very quickly, we don't all relate to numbers in the same way. Um, when you say, okay, it should be, you know, 82 and a half percent for three sets of three today and make them clean or whatever. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like, you know, a few people are panicking. A few people are excited. A few yes. people are confused or bored. Yes, absolutely. And and also for most people, um, they're not going to know their, their number, their maximum weight, because that in itself is a very um, precise or specific skill that aside from even the skill of weightlifting going heavy is its own thing and a lot of people actually don't want to do that they just want to feel like they're having fun and in flow state and so the heavy part um, a lot of people aren't going to know what that actual number is but when they get to like a medium effort they'll know like ah that felt good it was challenging but most of the time heavy is very scary like it's very taxing on the nervous system and gives people the jitters or like they can't concentrate and it's not fun. Yeah. So there's the sport of Olympic weightlifting where Mm -hmm. there are very clear rules. Like you're trying to lift as much weight as possible with certain constraints. You can't do certain things in order to lift the weight. And then, you know, you get like your three attempts at each lift and you try to accumulate as many kilograms and there's a winner. So if your goal isn't like if you're working with a recreational weightlifter, what, what are other goals that people come to you with around weightlifting? Oh, man. So those are the people I love focusing on now. And I actually don't serve competitive lifters anymore. For like several years, I was split between. I was like, maybe I offer this to competitive people, but maybe the rec, but the recreational people, like watching them break through one, it's scary and intimidating. Watching them graduate to like, oh, well, yeah, I can totally do that at my CrossFit gym or at my home. That is a magical moment that yeah. I didn't even know I really appreciated until I started to just give them more attention. Like, hey, don't worry about your competing, right? There's a bunch of rules. Fuck them. Let's just do stuff that feels like, oh, yeah, we're, we're celebrating what we can do. Also getting strong enough to get rid of some knee pains or, um, you know, just feeling confident in any standing weighted exercise. Like, those are already kind of intimidating as as it is. Like a back squat is very scary for a lot of people, particularly because they're like, oh, I might hurt my back, I might hurt my knees. And also people are told they're defective, like your ankle mobility is not good, your thoracic spine, you know, this should be your squat, you know, ribs this. And I'm like, fuck all that. That's that's why people don't exercise because there's so many fucking rules. Yeah. And then playing that game of like competitive, I I, I did it, but I, it took this part of me and it a perfectionist part of me and it like amplified it. And I didn't like who I became when I was in the sport. I was not fun to be around, Jeremy. I believe it. I have been that person as well. I mean, I was still fun really? to be around because I'm awesome to be around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, like the same thing with handstands, right? It's okay. Now you have to be able to do it with this shoulder position. Now you have to hold it for this long. Now you have to Mm. do it in this way. Now you have to move through this position. Now you have to learn this new skill. And it's like at some point you zoom out and realize that you're not competing in a sport. And it's like, oh, I can just take the essence of this thing and use it however I want. In fact, Mm -hmm. the rules of the sport were just made up in the first place, right? Like, I don't know who invented weightlifting. You probably know a lot more about the history, but it wasn't you know, it wasn't invented so that every single person on earth could compete in the sport and use it in the same exact way. And the rules for competition are so weird and they don't apply to a lot of basic biomechanics, like the stuff people naturally do. If you think overhead, right? 
awesome. You, you figured out a movement strategy. And it's a lot of uh, weightlifters uh, in general, they kind of crap all over uh, the CrossFit community because yes, you're comparing it to rules that you are deeply involved in. It's like someone who uh, loves American football and they're like, well, why do they do this in soccer? Because it's a completely different activity, right? And CrossFit is sort of this nice medley mix of, um, you know, it's like a salad of stuff that makes people feel good because they're tackling different physical skills at the same time with other people. So when I stopped, you know, when I was like, you know what, I'm not in that camp who shits all over that. Then I started to really see the um, that the rules were all made up. Yeah, <laughs> like you I said. Think- that's like the perfect segue into geeking out as hard as we possibly can about technique <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's, there's this like, there's this culture of we have these rules and we have the right technique and you can be more and more and more and more perfect. And then you get a gold medal and the further you are from that, the worse you are. But like you said, there are arbitrary rules and anyone can come up with a movement strategy to accomplish a task. So if the task is pick up the weight, people will pick it up differently. If it's put it overhead, people will do that differently. And, you know, it's not that technique doesn't matter at all. It's not like every movement strategy is equally effective, right? Mm. So I'd love to dig into like what actually matters in the technique of lifting weights and what doesn't matter so much. Um, Mm. So let's start with maybe like you said, the snatch. That's kind of like the most, the peak of technical uh, Olympic weightlifting. So can you talk to me first, just like a lay of the land of what are the types of things weightlifters and weightlifting coaches will talk about for technique around the snatch? Oh yeah. Uh, A big one is um, do I internally or externally rotate my arms while holding the bar? And there's like a whole, like you can go down rabbit holes of people commenting about that. The truth is like, if somebody can generate tension to protect their joints, it's good. It doesn't even matter. Like for, for kids when they, if, as long as, um, I think it was, uh, you know, DJ Murakami, he, he's, he's, he first told me about the idea tension over position that blew my mind because I always thought like, you know, postures and this and that I was obsessed with that stuff. Same with other weightlifting coaches, but if we can't squeeze, we can't actually feel protected. Like a lot of people, they're happy to obey a coach and put their body in weird shapes and they're like, this doesn't feel good, coach. And then the coach is like, well, you just got to get used to it. And then it's a sink or swim type thing instead of like, hey, maybe try squeezing this and relaxing this. And then it feels way better. And a lot of um, the snatch is actually learning which muscles to relax in which phase. A lot of people are death gripping the bar because they're scared or they're trying to muscle things. And so the finesse, like in a handstand, like there's balance points where you don't need to effort um, in the snatch people will find that naturally when, when they're given, um, I guess, constraints like, Hey, just move your feet to this position and however you get the bar, just make sure it's behind your ears. That's what I would say for people. Yeah. So you're, you're differentiating between certain body positions and the actual like target, the end goal of the movement, right? If you don't get the bar behind your ears, then you're going to have to create a whole lot of other tension, which is you might call like a waste of energy, right? If the bar's out in mm-hmm. front of you, you know, gravity is not going to change because of the way that you chose to, to snatch. So you're going to have to work a lot harder. You're not going to be able to lift as heavy weights or the same weights as easily. But mm-hmm. if you can place the bar where you want it, there are a lot of different ways that someone might hold it there successfully. Absolutely. And when people have free reign, they create their own style. Then it includes the self uh, efficacy and autonomy piece where they figured it out. And I think, you know, you might have a comment or two on that, but when people feel like they figured it out, they own it. And it's so much more satisfying to watch somebody who feels like they're going to walk away. Like, damn, I own that. Instead of like, fuck, how am I going to, how am I going to like perfect this? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's the reason that a lot of what happens that you and I don't particularly like also happens and also works to an extent where if someone comes in and they are looking for instruction and you give them instruction, they'll feel more comfortable and confident, right? They, they got what they wanted. They felt like they were able to follow a list of cues. They did it, right? And now they can walk out and come back the next time more confident. But it's this balance between if you give someone too many answers, then 
they're going to stop asking the questions, right? And they're just going to say, oh, I want to lift this weight, so I need to go ask Brandon how to lift this weight. Yeah, and, you know, part of me, like, what's tricky about the the ego is when I did become good enough to coach, I didn't actually know how to teach. I knew how it I worked, it worked for me, and that's all I could relay. And that's a lot of um, the trouble of transitioning from a, like a sport athlete to understanding mechanics and principles and how people's bodies differ a little bit and their comfort with their body. Um, so that was a long journey for me to actually learn how to teach and give people, uh, like we talked about, just sort of, uh, well, I'm going to get meta for a second, but really it's about the environment I create psychologically. And I was like, oh my God, if I give people bad vibes, they're going to just want to try to impress me or they're going to try to do it right by me. But that's not the goal of this is to, it's to help people self-trust and that if, even if it's not perfect, they can figure out a new way to do it. So it feels better. And uh, a, a coach of mine or mentor, he calls that the psychic ambience of, of uh, whatever gym you're at or place it's the vibe you create. And it's res- the coach is responsible for that. Yeah. I was just talking to a few other coaches about this. If you put yourself in the spotlight it's a lot more likely that you'll look like a good coach, right? Like, let's say you're coaching kids, the parents are going to be a lot more impressed by like a drill sergeant shouting loudly and having a bunch of kids falling in line and doing what they say. But if you coach to actually support the individual and give them what they need and step back and let them like struggle with it and learn, it looks like you're not doing anything. Oh, and I'll I'll tell you a story about when I actually went to study uh, at a weightlifting gym for a month. Uh, with Bob Takano, one of the most uh, experienced coach coaches out there, 50 years of like weightlifting coaching. And one day he was like sitting in his office and he's got like, a you know, eight platforms, maybe 12. And they're all of his lifters are like out there and he's in the back, you know, typing on his you know computer. And I'm like, who, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> like, what a negligent ass coach. And I'm like, how am I? And then, you know, out of nowhere, like we're sitting there and I'm like, and he's making me like, you know, uh, you know, do some intern stuff, like help with Facebook and this. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? This is stupid. And then he just all of a sudden just goes, move your back foot. And I was like, <laughs> talking to me. And I look outside and his lifter's like, yeah, yeah, I totally wasn't moving my my back foot. And he's like, it's got to land first. And I was like, he doesn't even need to watch them. He knows their tendencies. And, and she was like, yeah, yeah, I totally know what you're going to say, T. I know what you're going to say. And I was like, oh, my God that was such a paradigm shift moment where I was like, I have been, like you said, the star. I was like, if I do it, people are going to believe me. But he lets them figure it out. It took me a long time to implement that. I didn't know how to implement that though. So Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's necessary, right? You can't just like become Bob Takano as a, a new coach when, when you're young and trying to figure it out. But over time, I think like, honestly, the way I experienced it was you just run out of that, that path, right? You keep, you get better at talking and explaining a movement and, and describing all the little pieces of it and, and showing off how much you know about it. And then like, you can't squeeze any more out of that. It doesn't, you know, explaining it for the millionth time doesn't make it any more likely to work for someone. You need to figure out how to actually let them take control of it so that they can learn it. Oh man. And, you know, as we're talking about this, like that, my first, uh, so like in 2017, I don't know if like I ever told you how uh, I met John Ewan, but I saw him on Instagram and I was like, this guy can move. <laughs> and so you know, I reached out and to get some coaching. I was like, how the hell do you do this? Right. And, you know, maybe a couple of months in, he's like, hey, I'm going to do this thing called online mo-, or he called it the project at the time. He didn't have a name for it, but some people who like yourself, like will know it as online movement university. And the first unit was task-based fitness. Yes. I was like, what the fuck is task-based fitness? And it was so hard because I was like, what's the right thing here? And I was like, what are the steps? Let your body decide. And you're a big, uh, I see it, you know, with your planche training. Like, I'm like, yeah, it's it's super like Zen, like master stuff. Just don't fall onto, you know, the, the Homer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God. Anyway, that was the, the, the start of when I was like, that's, that's the way. 
Yeah, I think that's huge. And when when you start to realize that a constraint is more powerful than words, I mean, words can be a constraint, but a physical constraint is more powerful than words. You can't like unsee it. You start seeing coaching and movement differently. So, you know, in weightlifting, the example that pops into my mind is like, chest up, chest up, chest up, chest up. And it's like, well, what if we like put a, a weightlifting shoe on you? <laughs> or what if we put this mat in front of you and, you know, if you start to lean forward, you're going to feel like you're hitting that mat with your head. Right. So I can start to envision how that might work in weightlifting. Honestly, I haven't coached Olympic lifts for years and I was not thinking about a lot of this back then, but I think a lot of people would hear that and be like, the Olympic lifts are too fast or too dangerous. You can't be like playing around with them like that. You need to carefully use words to make their make sure their technique is perfect and safe and all that. So can you walk me through an example of maybe like a traditional approach that doesn't manipulate the constraints or doesn't turn it into a task and then how you think about it differently now? Oh yeah. Uh, the, the first one uh, is, is like um, find the power position, you know, bend your, have your butt over your heels, your knees over your toes and make sure your chest is out you know, like, and your shoulder blades are down. It's like putting people into these uncomfortable postures um, to make them tension. But really, I think people know, um, eventually they're going to know what things they need to tension to make something feel um, less painful or less uncomfortable. And that just comes with time. Sorry. Um, but yeah, the approach is like, uh, make the movement smaller and then start to go bigger but they're okay. always going to tell you to squat, 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 no matter what, which if you're going to lift heavy weights, eventually you will. But some people get confused because the weight's so light, they don't actually need to rush down in a squat. So there are the weights flying up and then they're trying to rush down. They're like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. And it's like, no, 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 no. The, the requirement is just not there. Um, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's it goes back to constraints, right? Your words as a coach, let's say you're having someone lift a PVC pipe and you want them to do a squat clean and you're you're basically telling them like pretend to jump up and then pretend you need to go down into a squat to catch it you're telling them to like act and their body is like you want me to get this thing to my shoulders i don't need to squat to do that i can just pick it up to my shoulders right the constraints aren't there but as the weight gets heavier it acts as a constraint right you can no longer just curl it up with your arms you need to find a different strategy and that's why the coach is trying to get someone to squat. So I can, that's kind of, I see that as like a, a problem, right? Those, the words aren't sufficient, but can mm -hmm. you paint me the alternative picture? Like if someone with a lightweight is curling it up, or maybe they are doing the nice looking squat clean with a PVC pipe, but then when the weight gets heavier, it kind of gets to the hips and then they don't go down into the squat. The weight falls down on the floor. How do you work with that with like a task minded? Um, approach. Mm, oh, I love that. I love that so much. Uh, for for people who are having trouble with the clean, I'll actually stand right. Uh, I'll uh, if they're right here, I'll stand perpendicular to them, and I'm like, okay, get the bar from your hips to your shoulders, but don't hit me. Hmm. And I'll be like this close to them, and they'll they'll do the necessary motion by not trying to hit me. And then they'll be like, did I do it? I'm like, absolutely, you didn't hit me, but they didn't have to think. Uh, shrug elbows under internal rotation to extra, you know, like chest up, right. like they didn't have to think that all just kind of happened. And then the other thing that I'll say is I never tell them what they're doing wrong. I'll just assume it was a good rep. I'm like, great. And then now do this. Like you did the thing. Even if they, it's like the most God awful looking thing in my coaching brain, I won't say it. Mm -hmm. I won't even let them know. I'll just be like, cool. All right. Next thing you're going to do that a little closer. Keep it to your shirt. Don't touch me. Or, you know, if I, um, if they're not learning how to feel their legs properly, I'll have them like, I'll put my hand here and I'll have them lean into me as they're in their deadlift position. Mm -hmm. And that balance shift to the balls of the feet turns the quads on. And I don't have to say, feel your legs or some random shit that everyone always asks me, what does it mean to feel my legs? <laughs> and I'm like, just lean into me like, oh my God, my legs burn. I'm like, that's what they're trying to get you to do. But it's not natural because... Mammals don't want to waste energy. Why would you? No one wants to go there naturally. And they're like, oh, so I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm like, no, you're na it's natural. Like, 
it burns. It sucks. Yeah. Why, why would I want to engage my core? That sounds terrible. <laughs> right. So like, it's just this wild thing where I was like, oh, okay. Um, your core will engage as it gets heavier. So like, um, I, I know that was a long winded answer to the task thing, but I'm still trying to puzzle how can we just do tasks instead to make people be like, oh, cool, that was easier instead of like, wait, can you back up those seven steps that I was supposed to do? I love it. I love what you said. So I just want to like call this out and make sure that, you know, someone listening who's like washing dishes or driving, like pull over, put the dish down for a second, let this sink in. It's going to it's going to help your weightlifting or your coaching or whatever it is you do. You took this situation where you can't use words to say like, keep the bar closed, shrug your shoulders, pull your elbows up. Because every time you do that, you watch people come up with different responses to it. It doesn't work. So instead, you stand in front of them. You say, don't hit me. And hopefully, they do a pretty good job of that. But even when they don't, you don't tell them they did something wrong. That was like the, the beautiful moment to me. When you tell someone they do something wrong, the next rep, probably they're just going to be thinking about how they did it wrong last time. They're not going to be thinking about not hitting you. They're not going to be thinking about jumping or getting the weight to their shoulders or whatever else. They're going to be like, man, this is really hard. I'm really bad at it. And that's probably not an effective way to accomplish the relatively straightforward task you've set up of like, pick this thing up without hitting your coach. Yeah. I think something that's important too is like, if we're trying to build confidence, like I forget who said this, but like confidence is the memory of small wins. And I was like, oh my God, okay, how do we get somebody just being like, oh, like something about the identity of just being competent at weightlifting is a good aspirational goal for people. Like I just didn't kill myself today. Yeah. If the first session in the first 15 minutes, they're already feeling like that, that's, we got them hooked. But if they're in 30 minutes later, they're like, oh God, what did I sign up for? If they're not asking to put weight on the bar, I'm not doing my job right. If they're like, hey, can I, can I go up a little bit? I'm like, can you dare yourself? Of course you can. And so the other rules that I'll put in place too, uh, it's the opposite of what I'm like. If I say nothing, it means you're doing fine. And that throws people off because they're yeah. always looking for like every rep, you're going to drill sergeant me, right? And I'm like, no, only the ones that look a little unsafe so that you just can concentrate. But other than that, it's a playground. Do some weird shit. Like, and then it sort of looks like... um people are just kind of workshopping, but it looks disjointed. Like some person might be like doing something slow. Another person's like doing explosive something. But to me, that's the environment of building confidence. Awesome. I want to ask you about how like strength and flexibility and various forms of capacity relate to the skill of the movement we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So in in typical like strength and conditioning for a sport, there's talk of how strong is strong enough, right? Like if I'm going to go out and play soccer, football, tennis, basketball, whatever, my sport isn't weightlifting in the gym. I might use weightlifting as a tool to help me, you know, be able to run faster or jump higher or whatever. But in weightlifting, weightlifting is the sport. <laughs> so mm. I ran into this as like a young Olympic lifting crossfitter who had no strength training background i got to the point where i was getting really comfortable with the technique i loved olympic weightlifting for the record but my strength was becoming a real ceiling so mm. i was the guy who could like power clean as much as i could squat clean because it was as much as i could squat right my legs mm -hmm. weren't gonna pushing with my legs like you said wasn't gonna do much um so can you help me separate out like when um when might you have someone practicing the skill versus like going and and squatting or lunging or whatever oh yeah that's that's a great question that's like the eternal debate right do we practice the skill or strong like what what is it um for a lot of people what happens is their legs are generally pretty strong um most people have access to their leg power but what happens is the trunk and the upper body will get tired holding a weight and pushing through the legs so the body will kind of default to its natural tendency, which is to piggyback or like do a good morning or like a hip hinge type squat. Most people aren't going to want to use their quads in this specific way where we're standing upright. Like think about a sissy squat, right? Nobody really squats that way because it's so quad heavy. Mm -hmm. 
but the weightlifting is sort of a mini version of a sissy squat. It's sort of balanced. It's like a sissy squat, but you, the, the bar, you're balancing something. So when they can learn the balance point, they can often apply force better. But if left to their own devices, they're going to do a hip hinge type squat where their butt comes up and then they'll fall forward and they'll think that they're not strong enough, but it's really, they just aren't balanced enough. So the balance, I'll have them understand the squat in a balanced form, but also can they hold a weight with their core and their legs? That's usually tiring on the nervous system, two different zones to track. So once they acclimate to that and they can at least hold it depends on how much they actually want to get involved. I always trying to scan for that. Like how, if someone's like, I just want to try it. I won't even have them do a back squat. I'll just have them front squat because it'll um, teach them about the legs and the balance faster. So you kind of flipped my question on its head. I'm picturing back in my own history of weightlifting, I was practicing these Olympic lifts and I perceived that I didn't have the strength to keep pushing the numbers up. So for instance, if my power clean or my squat clean won't go up in weight anymore, it's more likely because I will benefit more from squatting than practicing the clean. But you're talking about actually taking the squat, which I'm calling a strength movement, and you're talking about the skill of the squat itself and how you find that balance and how to coordinate your lower and upper body. Yeah, and that's the that's actually the, um, it's so simple actually to get, good at weightlifting, if you squat well and you avoid your natural tendencies to use your hips and back, then the snatch and the uh, the clean become extremely pot. Like even if you didn't want to get stronger, you could totally max out your ability and actually feel really good because you're like at the edge of your strength limit. And I guess people, they'll say, I know, I know I'm so strong, but I just can't tap into it. It's often because they have not experienced a specific position that needs to be coached. Um, so maybe like the enhanced stance, like, you know, maybe head positioning for a lot of people, their fear reflexes, they want to keep staring at something, right? They can't let their head just balance and hang. That's sort of, a, to me, that's an advanced skill to be able to do that. But so I'm like, I want you to just give me all the answers right now, right? I'm sitting here on my couch on this podcast and I'm like, okay, but teach me how to squat and mm-hmm. just, just give me the key, right? Obviously that's not how the world works, but can you take me into that a little bit? So mm, sure. I, I am, I was, I will be probably the person who will stay fairly upright on the way down. Mm-hmm. And then to come up out of a heavy squat, my hips are going to go back. I'm going to use more hips, glutes back because mm-hmm. like you said, my quads don't want to keep pushing. My knees don't want to stay forward. And so depending on your goal, that may or may not be problematic, but like you're describing for weightlifting, it's going to be much more helpful to stay more upright. So can you use words? Like, unfortunately, we don't have uh, demonstration and, you know, constraints, manipulation, all that. Can words describe how I can uh, get better at that squat? Yeah. Aim your butt down, not back. Like pretend there's somebody that you might bump out of the way. A lot of times when like, if my hips are directly on like not directly, but like mostly stacked over the, the feet going upish and downish, but it's when it goes back, the body's trying to, um, it's a natural strategy. If you just don't let your butt go back too much, everything ends up being pretty right. Uh, it's the strongest for most people to do that. Hmm. Yeah. Trying to bring your butt down to your heels. And if you need to raise your heels, that's okay. And, Letting people, oh, the other thing, it's okay to come onto your toes if not natural. And a lot of people are told the cue, heels only, heels down, heels down. You may have heard that before. Mm-hmm. Sit into your heels. It's true, but also like the foot balance is very naturally. A lot of people avoid that. If I let them onto their toes, they know how to push through their legs. Very interesting. So in a sense, that goes against what we were just talking about before, which is because I <laughs> I constrained you to only using words, right? But now you're saying, <laughs> okay, I can give you a cue with my words that will change your position and your tension. Um, so of course, you might also use strategies like you know putting an object somewhere or changing the movement a little bit. But given that we are just using words here, are you predicting that like when I go into the gym tomorrow and I do squats, I can think uh, butt, butt down, like butt facing the floor as opposed to butt back. 
and within a set that will actually change how I'm squatting? I think so. It's it's pretty uh Yeah, even just uh I think the 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 thing we don't think about is what our hips are doing the most in an Olympic lift. It's always the arms or like a feet. Hmm. But if the hips are uh moving up and down at a reasonable rate, that will help with the squat clean. A lot of times we don't think where our butt is. Uh so kind of having people yeah, actually, this this is a good experiment because maybe I'll try that today or tomorrow when I coach. It's like, what can I can give some constraints uh, with squatting? So I'm going to go squat, you go constrain, and then we'll meet back here. <laughs> you know, actually, you know, if we're talking objects, if I put a foam roller that's maybe about knee height in front of someone, I tell them, just try to touch the foam roller with your knee a little bit when you're squatting, that will already bring their hips down and towards the ankles without them really having to do that necessarily. Mm-hmm. And what they'll do is they'll start to use their quads um, and they'll be on the balls of the feet and push through them without. And that's usually the first thing I'll, I'll put my fist on someone's knee and I'll say, push my fist away. And they'll be like, Oh my God, there's my quads. And I'm like, okay, now use that every single time. And they're like, I have not been doing that. I have been doing the opposite. I've been told, use my hips, put your hips into the bar, extend your hips, triple extend. And I'm like, I get that. Hips help in certain contexts, you know, for strength, especially deadlift, right? Um, but also it, it, it's uh, something that I struggle with is like when someone meets conflicting information and then letting them choose, I'm like, I try not to like crap on previous coaching because sometimes they get down about them. And they're like, oh God, I just learned everything wrong. I'm like, it's just a strategy. Yeah. And this, like you said, this is the puzzle, right? You could put a foam roller in front of someone's knee and think, oh, I'm this brilliant weightlifting coach. I have this amazing constraint. It's going to teach people to use their quads. And then you have them excessively thinking about their knee instead of thinking about like moving the weight, right? You You start mm-hmm. to make the task so complex uh, and specific to like your (laughs) desire as a coach that you actually change the task for them. You like let go of the essence of the task, which was standing up with a weight on top of you. Um, And this is, that's like the game. That's, (laughs) that's our job. Um, So I love that we're kind of like uh, struggling with it in real time. And I actually am super curious to hear if you're, if you think about like new constraints and how you might talk about it differently what types of effects that has on your lifters. Yeah. I mean, I will do some research and report. Uh, is there, cause I also too, like I'm still trying to walk away from the telling all the things to do. Cause there's any, uh, the tricky part is there's always something to improve. So it like triggers a lot of perfectionism in people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes to, to get away from that, I, try to ask them like, Hey, what'd you do well today? Or what did you learn? And to bring the focus and they're like, Oh, well, I learned, you know, that I wasn't using my upper back as much or something like that. And that, um, also brings me away from like overcorrecting, like, here's the nine things you can do to improve. Yeah. I think it's tricky with something like weightlifting. It reminds me of uh, golf, which I don't play. I have no experience with, but <laughs> the way people talk about it and Olympic weightlifting, the, part of the fun is in these ridiculous number of details, right? Like you could, you could practice (laughs) Mm -hmm. this for a lifetime and it's just the same lift over and over again or the same golf swing and you can zoom in and in and in and in. But like you said, that can have a lot of negative consequences. Um, So it's, it's a tough balance. I think, have you found, are you able to still kind of enjoy the details without getting bogged down in them? Yes, I actually had to take a break from weightlifting and I advise a lot of people to do so as well because it taxes the body. Uh, It doesn't build strength. And that's, a, I think, a myth that a lot of people will pick up is it just, it it tests your body. It doesn't bring strength. And there are many ways to get strong, which um, there's not one right way to learn to use your legs in, uh, in weightlifting. And to take a break sometimes psychologically is good to, it's so hard on the nervous system, I think. And also it requires such a degree of focus that it can become not fun. And then I don't want to create that kind of, I don't want to 
encourage that kind of culture, if that makes sense. Yeah. When you came back from your break, what did you find was different? I thought the competitive rules were stupid. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I was like, this is some weird fucking game. I, I, I understand, though, when people, they like a lot of like people who rule at Monopoly, they usually kick my ass because they're so aware of all the rules and stuff. And they're like, yeah, I'm fucking shit up. And I'm like, that's not fun anymore. Hmm. Why did I get into it in the first place? It was to break through um, some fears. And so as a, uh, a fear management tool, I think that's really helpful for people because then they're not afraid to go do other stuff like field sports where you explode, right? I, I think the, the moment of like squeezing your legs and hips very violently kind of freaks people out a little bit. But once they tune into that, they're like, oh my God, my thrusters and CrossFit feels good. My kipping pull-up feels so much easier. And I'm like, okay, that's, if you're going to go back to your CrossFit gym and you just feel like you're going to dominate whatever workout, that is, that's cooler to me now. In your own practice, what's the version of that for you? What is that feeling where you're like, like, yes, I just dialed into blank? <laughs> Good question. You know, when I feel like I can pause in a movement, now I used to rush through a bunch. Like I hated pause squats. I hated holding. If I can hold something, it shows me that I am really understanding where I should be in my own body. And then I can actually relax a little bit. And that to me helps me be like, oh yeah, you're chilling out in a position rather than like you're fighting for this. And then it actually feels fun. Wow. I cannot describe how not fun that sounds to me having practiced weightlifting in my own <laughs> way. I, yeah, if there's time and tension i'm trying to make them as small as possible i'm like get me out of here this thing is heavy i'm gonna try <laughs> it as hard as i can to lift it i will give it my all and then i'm out <laughs> yeah i i was that way for a long time too that's so interesting so how did you find that out how did you start to kind of appreciate pausing and and letting yourself be somewhere when i started training for flexibility which that was sort of like uh, when you were talking about that episode uh, with Jen, like starting something late in life, I thought stretching was stupid <laughs> and also adults can't get flexible. Right. But it is stupid and adults can't get flexible. That's totally right. True. We should definitely enforce that. That's a cultural <laughs> messaging we should keep up. <laughs> I'm going to cut out the entire rest of our conversation. It's just going to be that on a loop. Like Brandon thinks stretching is stupid. Brandon, uh, throw me in there with the stretching is stupid crowd. I've got <laughs> evidence. I've got I've got studies that show passive stretching doesn't help. But but passive stretching taught taught me because I wasn't possible to go any further until I sat the fuck still and stopped fidgeting. And that's what I was doing in weightlifting. I couldn't own position because I was actually just following rules. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm down here. I'm up. But I was like, did I actually own that? I was like, when my hips got flexible, I actually had to relearn back squatting because I was like, oh my God, my hips have nine different choices. I don't know which one's mine. And I felt really insecure. I was like, "Am I? do I even lift weights? Do I know anything? But the, the passive stretching taught me to like kind of sit still and be like, yeah, this is uncomfortable, but don't make it maximum. Just make it enough so you understand your body's changing in this moment. That's so cool. Um I'm definitely going to go lift weights and stretch and keep you in mind. And I have a feeling each of them will be more effective. So thank you. Um, when you're now pausing during an Olympic lift, what are your favorite uh, lifts and parts of the lift to pause in? Like what are a few positions that you enjoy sitting with? Overhead squat. Definitely. <laughs> it's such a weird position. Like, your hips are down by your ankles and you have something over your head. Um, but yeah, there's something like uh, cool about that. I don't like it's when I practice hand balancing, it's like finding the moment where you're like everything's stacked nicely and you can kind of relax ish. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, how do you capture this? And it's so fleeting, you know, and most people, they're extremely uh they're like i hate the bottom position i just want to get out as soon as possible i'm scared of it i hate it i'm like i get it that is that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with mimicking 
professional athletes, right? You look at someone who can sit in a overhead squat with 200 kilograms over their head and, you know, do breathing exercises, right? And you watch the positions they go through. If you try to mimic those positions, you're missing the forest for the trees, right? You're missing the fact that they're really comfortable in the position they're trying to like aggressively pull themselves into. And if you don't have that comfort, of course your body isn't going to want to just like jump down there with a weight over your head. Yeah. The people like uh, getting comfortable with things too, like act, letting yourself do easy stuff. I don't know if uh, who's, who said that, but don't discount the easy stuff too. Like the simple stuff, it adds to the the bricks of your practice. Can you give some examples of what's the easy stuff? Um, like, a, like people hate doing pause squats at light weights because they're like, why this is, but it teaches them where their body should be um, and in the best leverages and also what it feels like uh, to turn on and turn off muscles. So it teaches them better how to economize the movement. Um, and so they're actually prepared for speed when they can relax. Um, I don't know if that made sense, but learning which parts of the movement you can relax and conserve energy in, mm-hmm. uh, which is like letting the legs relax so you can bounce in your squat. A lot of times people will just muscle until they're tired, but you can weightlifting as you get better, you're get, going to get momentum, like learn to use momentum and relax. And that's how it looks so easy. The poise, you know? Yeah. It almost looks like a dance between the person and the barbell when it, when it works well. Um, which is really cool to see (laughs) when you either are coaching or when you're practicing your own lifts, if you're willing to admit it for the millions of people who are going to listen to this, what is a frustration that you have run into multiple times? Like whether it's gone on for years or just the last couple of weeks, what's frustrating about either lifting or coaching lifting? Lifting you get tired and you don't get to keep trying a million times. <laughs> you just get, like there's just a finite amount of energy and also aging too. I started way later out of my peak prime. So I was already downhill. Um, that's the, the thing that kind of frustrates me. Um, but I'm, I'm working with that. And in coaching, I think when people come with too many rules in their head, it's hard. It's like when their cup is full and they've watched uh, many, many Instagram videos and they're like looking for confirmation from me that they're right instead of being ready to explore. I, I It grinds my gears a lot because yeah. I'm like, you're not here to learn. You're here to prove to me that you know how to lift. Go do that in a competition, man. I don't, I don't care. And that happened in my first two years of like coaching at my current gym is a lot of people were like, I'm going to show Brandon that he's not that good at coaching and I know more. I'm like, this sucks. And then there are people who are like, hey, I'm like kind of scared. I don't know how to do this stuff, but my CrossFit gym doesn't teach it. Can you? I'm like, okay, that's where that doesn't frustrate me. Yeah, I'm nodding aggressively at you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I can see it. You, 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 you feel this. Um, all right, so I do want to give some attention to the the second group of people. I'm imagining, you know, a beginning weightlifter or someone who's listening to this and they've kept listening this whole time and they're kind of like lit up by the way you're talking about weightlifting. Maybe, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can go try this thing, learn this stuff. It's a tough, (laughs) it's a tough balance between go find a coach and go play, right? It came up on a few of my earlier conversations with people. On the one hand, you talked about the weightlifting gym as a playground. Like you want people to try stuff and have fun and experiment and learn. And on the other hand, you've talked about a lot of really good coaching techniques and perspective that you have that, of course, a beginner walking in for the first time doesn't have. So can you give some advice to someone who either is just starting out or is considering starting out? Absolutely. Play, try this stuff with dumbbells. Hmm. It's so safe. Like, and it, you can mimic so many of the movements with dumbbells and it feels easier to like, and not so, um, it's not equipment intensive. There's dumbbells everywhere. You can do it in a hotel gym. You're traveling anywhere has dumbbells in a small space where you can just practice, um, little sections. And, uh, 
you know, doing goblet squats, like just plain old dumbbell goblet squats will prepare you way faster than actually using a barbell. Cause sometimes it's distracting to have something on your back. Um, and just doing PVC pass-throughs, like just, just, um, taking a, a, a stick and just practicing opening your shoulders. That's more than enough. You don't need like the other thing, you don't need extreme shoulder flexibility. You just need to know how to position your shoulder blades so that, that your shoulders feel secure like internally. Nice. Okay. Dumbbells. Great idea. What types of lifts would you consider like both fun and accessible for someone starting out with dumbbells? Clean and jerk. It's most intuitive. Um, it looks, you know, like you can mimic whatever you see on the Olympics pretty, pretty much. And you're not really going to get hurt. Um, the, the snatch is probably uh, a little trickier to find out. So if you have a little more body awareness, um, I think it'll be super simple, but even then you can just try it too. Um, yeah, there's, it's actually really safe. I think there's this myth that it's sort of dangerous, but humans are also really smart too. They know how to get things away from them. Cool. So dumbbell clean and jerk, is this two dumbbells, one in each hand? Try one at first and then you can try two if you can coordinate it. Okay. So picking one dumbbell up off the floor, trying to get it to your shoulders, that'd be the clean. And then can you bring that from your shoulders overhead? Now you've done some version of a jerk. Yeah. Two knee bends. Like if you just pop it and then drop under it, that's the jerk. But if you just press it straight up, that's okay too. Cool. Um, awesome. I want to leave it there. And I hope that there was someone listening who's in that category. <laughs> I hope I was right. But thank you so much for talking with me. I unfortunately am feeling inspired to go lift. Um, <laughs> I haven't done Olympic weightlifting in way too long. So now I'm going to have to take up a new practice, which is what happens every time I talk to someone cool. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to add for anyone listening? I just want to thank you for doing these conversations and podcasts because there's not enough perspectives on, you know, fitness that you know, are more welcoming to people. So I, and especially the name of this podcast, nothing makes perfect. It gives people free reign to just think, yeah, don't have to do it perfect. Awesome. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks, Jeremy.